So this is it. This is legacy, right? And we know this is just the tip of the iceberg. Like there are countless stories in this room that couldn't be put in that video. There are, there are people in this room that are laying down their lives, that are leaving legacies, that are telling stories, that are, that are allowing the Lord to use them in powerful ways. And this morning, I, I, I felt in, to preach on legacy, a surrendered life, that legacy begins with surrender. You know, there are people in this room, like I think of, you know, Obviously, Justin and Kelly and the Embrace team and everyone who serves on our Embrace team, changing lives, leaving a legacy. I think of Day, Pastor Day, who's doing this thing called Savita Club, this God-centered creative club in the schools. I think of Bill and Shauna Klein, who are reaching their neighborhood in really, really cool ways. We're going to get them up to give a testimony in a few weeks here, so I'm not going to spoil it. But I think of Dr. Rose who's starting a charter STEM school in Georgia, like plot twist. Um, I think of Erica James and her ministry and how she's reaching the world and reaching people. I think of so many in this room. Stu Gordon, who's doing a leadership academy for his students in his school. Legacy starts with a yes. Legacy starts with our surrender. Legacy starts with the people who will say, choose me, God, use me, I'll go anywhere. And we feel so blessed that the Lord sent us here to Raleigh, that, that Duncan and Kate came and when the Lord spoke to them and planted this church. And our stories all got to be intertwined. And the Lord is telling a great story through each and one of us. Take a moment for a second and think of the heroes of our faith. Think of some of the heroes of the Bible and their yeses to the Lord not just in a moment, but their continuous yes, right? Their continuous surrender. Think about Noah building the ark. I don't know if they used this word back then, but I'm like, awkward. Like you're building this ark and all your friends and neighbors are like, bro, what you doing? <laughs> like, are you crazy? But he's like, the Lord spoke to me. I'm going to say, yes, I'm going to surrender to God. Think about Abraham saying yes to the call of the Lord, leaving his family, leaving his mother and father and going to, to some far off land that the Lord says I have for you and your children. Queen Esther and Mordecai. I mean, the Bible is filled with stories of people just like us who have this beautiful gift of free will, of, of humanity, of choice, who face crossroads, who face moments in time where we can say, yes, God, I'll say yes to your plan. I'll say yes to your call and what you have for me today. So I want to propose this morning that legacy is, it all starts with our surrender. Not an instantaneous surrender that's just salvation. Yes, it's that, but it's also a daily surrender and transformation. As the word of God says, we are being transformed into his likeness. We are in process. Or as I used to say, process. We're in process, right? Being transformed. But I want to ask us this morning, how are we doing with our yes? How are we doing with our yeses? Are we saying, yes, God, use me, I'll go anywhere? Are we submitting to him? Are we abiding in the vine? Right, he is the vine, we are the branches. We can do nothing apart from him. 
John 15. We abide in him, Jesus. We come back to that simplicity, that simple place. I'll go anywhere. Use me, God. Pick me up like a paintbrush and paint your canvas, paint your masterpiece. It starts with our daily yes. Open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start on verse 1. Paul here is writing to the church at Colossae, and they're kind of under attack of false teachers, false doctrine, who were basically trying to teach and say that Jesus was not necessarily God. Kind of a form of universalism, to be honest, that Jesus was a sort of semi-divine being who pointed towards God, but was one of many. And so Paul writes this brilliant book to the church. And in the first two chapters, he begins to lay out the supremacy and lordship of Jesus Christ. That he is supreme over all creation, that he's supreme over the church, and that he is Lord over salvation, that, that all paths do not lead to heaven, that Jesus is the way of salvation. And so Paul beautifully and eloquently lays this out in the first two verses. And then this, in this, these third, this third and fourth chapter, sorry, he kind of gives the prescription, what will happen if you follow Jesus? And what will happen if you won't? You know, when you see the commercials and you have the list of side effects may include, it's kind of like that. He's like, side effects may include gentleness, humility, kindness, forgiveness, compassion. So we're going to read this, verse one. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will, will appear with him in glory. Come on. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are, are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And you've put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Come on. Verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against you, against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. What's he saying here? He's saying, listen, following Jesus looks like something. 
surrendering to Jesus, surrendering to God. What do you want to do through my life? What kind of legacy do you want to build? How can I be a blessing to the world around you? As we surrender to him, it looks like clothing ourselves in Christ. It looks like putting off the old way, putting off the dead man. It looks like submitting daily and saying, Jesus, how can, how can you use me? Lord, how can I put you on today by reading your word, by being in your presence, by spending time with you, by just even saying hello to you? Benny Hinn had that book, Good Morning, Holy Spirit, and apparently every day he would just wake up and the, the start of his day he would say, Good morning, Holy Spirit. I remember when I read that, I had to read that out at my um, ministry school, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, and that just so touched me that every morning, good morning, Holy Spirit. But how are we doing with our yes, with our surrender, with clothing ourselves in Jesus, and being the hands and feet and leaving a legacy to the world around us? The message version, it basically, it says this, it says, I read this actually when I was a teenager and I loved it. It kind of was a good slapping in the face for me, to be honest. But the message version says, if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. I was like, okay. Verse three says, your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ and God. He is your life. It's like, come on, act like it. Like the calling for us is to abide daily in the vine. We cannot produce fruit without him. We cannot leave a legacy. We cannot be a blessing without him, without saying, God, I am rooted and grounded and connected to you, the source. Jesus, use me how you want to use me. It starts with our yes and it, and it continues with our yeses. Many years ago, I don't know how long it was when you had that vision in the burning room. What would you say, Ash? 2010, maybe. When I, shortly after I first came on staff here, I don't know, like nine years ago, so it was somewhere within the last nine years, I, Ash shared this story. We had this little room called the burning room at our old building, if anyone remembers it. Any OGs in the room remember that? And, um, <laughs> and she had this vision that really stuck with me and it was like a flag of surrender. And all of a sudden the Lord took the flag and he turned it into a tent. And the Lord was saying, surrender is not, it's not just a moment, but it's a habitation. It's not just some event, but it is a daily choice to live. It is a tent. It is a dwelling place for you and I. That daily we would choose to pick up our cross and follow him. Even when it's hard, even when sometimes what he's asking is like, okay, Jesus, that's out of my comfort zone, but I'm following you. Knowing that you want to write an incredible story with my life. Because he's the God of generational impact, of generational blessing. And myself, like many of you in this room, I'm part of a legacy. My, my opa, which is grandfather for Dutch, for those who need that context, when he was right after, it was right after um, Pearl Harbor was bombed, Japan went and invaded Indonesia, where my, where my opa was, and he got placed in a concentration camp for four years, from the age of seven to 11 in Indonesia, got placed in a Japanese concentration camp. 
And for the first three years, he was, he was able to be like with his mom, with his family. And in the, last, in the last year at age 10, he got placed in the adult camp to work. Throughout this time, he wasn't fed very much, obviously was treated very poorly daily. The soldiers would lay out all the camp and they'd have to get on their hands and knees, place their hands out while the entire base, every officer would march over their hands. And that was just one of the many, many ways that obviously they were um, abused. And my, my Opa, there was no one in his immediate family who knew Jesus. So he's just a young kid in Indonesia who's now placed in a concentration camp. He's all alone in this last year for four years. And basically, he, he ended up getting really sick. He got dengue fever. For any of the, anyone who knows what that is, it's very serious. He ended up contracting malaria. And they had these tents they would place you with basically the last tent being relatively close to the pit of bodies because it was basically the tent like you're not going to make it. And so there's my, my opa. No one's saved in his family. He's, he's, here for, he's here for now four years and he's dying. He's in this tent and he's dying. And the Lord appeared to him in the middle of the night. And he said, you're not going to die. You're going to live. I have a plan for your life. Remember, no, he's not saved. No one in his family is saved. And the Lord says, you'll be freed from this place. And shortly after, I think it was a matter of a week or two, the Americans came and freed the camp. But this is my legacy. And many of you might have similar stories. It might not be, it might not be that radical, because how many know, even if he had a radical encounter at the age of 11, he still had to walk out this daily surrender to Jesus. He still had to choose to pick up his cross and follow the Lord. When they got on a boat and they came over to Canada to work on a farm, they still had to follow Jesus when they raised their kids in the way of the Lord, and now I have the privilege and joy of having grown up with Christian parents because of this one encounter my Opa had in a concentration camp with the Lord. What legacy are we leaving as we surrender to him, as we say yes daily to Jesus? How many have ever had the pleasure of, of seeing somebody receive Jesus for the first time, whether it was you were in the room or you were the one doing it, yeah? Did you realize you were a part of history? Like generational history could have been shifted before your very eyes. As I was preparing for this morning, it's like it began to hit me in a new sense, in a new way. I thought of my friend, Tim, Tim Hutchison, who's still one of my best friends up in Ontario. And in high school, I was in this little, it was like iron sharpson, iron brochure, Bible study group. Come on, Bible studies. And I had this little brochure and we had to write down the names of the unsaved friends we were praying for to, to receive Jesus. And so I wrote down three friends. I wrote Tim, Wes, and Malcolm. 
And I'm telling you, I'm telling you from the bottom of my heart, I prayed the weakest, most inconsistent prayers you could imagine as a high schooler. I mean, I loved Jesus. I, I really wanted to see my friends saved, but I was not like super dedicated waking up at 6 a.m. praying this thing or anything. But I did. I began to occasionally pray for my friends, pray that he would come to know Jesus. His parents were both atheists. And Tim would sometimes come over to our house church, mostly just to like hang out and eat food and play volleyball after. But he loved our family. We, we were really close And one day we got invited to go to the Pentecostal youth group who were doing this like bring an unsaved friend event. Come on, I remember those, those are awesome. And so we brought Tim to this event. We had some friends that went to the Pentecostal youth group. And in that meeting, my friend received Jesus. And you could clap for that if you want. Um, But what hit me well, let me say this firstly. He comes home and he, he's, to this day, he, he recounts this story that when he came over to the Ninnabers, when he came over to our family's house, he remembers my sister, Melissa, going over to him and just being like, welcome to the family. And from an atheist family, just being embraced, like you just became a part of the greatest family in human history. And it, as I was preparing for this morning, I realized that it was so much more than Tim. I had the joy of, as a high schooler, baptizing my friend in one of the Great Lakes. And yeah, it's cold there. (laughs) It's cold, the Great Lakes. Till the very end of summer, and then you can enjoy it for like two weeks. But it's a little dramatic, but kind of. And so my friend, I realized that his legacy is my legacy. That now he's married a godly woman and he just had a daughter named Daphne. She's really cute. And I realized that Daphne's going to grow up having Christian parents. And it was like this, as I was preparing, it's just like, it was so much bigger than just him. And sometimes it's so hard to kind of get past looking just in our little circle and our little view and our little world when God's like, look up. Look at what I want to do through you. Look at the legacy I want to leave through your life. This year at youth camp, this, I think this is the, really, the, it was a really holy moment. I can't describe it. It hasn't happened in any of the other nine youth camps. I've had the privilege of leading with my wife and our team here at this church. But this year, something incredibly unique took place. And on Thursday night, the Holy Spirit, this like holy, weighty presence just came in the room. We didn't get to the sermon. I went up to the preacher. I said, I'm so sorry. Are you okay if we skip? I'll put you in the morning. He's like, absolutely. Like, why would you want to touch what God's doing with a bunch of students, right? And, and um, in this moment, we became, there was almost this holy, weighty presence. And I became aware of not just the, the students I could see in the room, but that the generations that were represented before me. And we had this like powerful moment where students were going around and leaders laying hands on one another. And so many of your students here in this room were laying hands on one another and praying for the generations that were represented in the room yet to be seen and known. And it was this like powerful moment of, hey, this is about so much more. 
This is about so much more than me. This is about so much more than even my son Jude, which that blows me away. He's only five. This is about Jude's children and Jude's children's children. God is leaving a legacy. He's writing a story through each and every one of us. And all we have to do is say, yes, God, use me. I will daily choose to follow you, pick up my cross, surrender my life, and do what you want me to do. We know that it spans all those generations, right? Abraham, Isaac, as he was in the video, right? When they said Isaac, I love that, cracked me up. Jacob, of David and the, and the kingly line, like God cares about the generations. And you don't know with your life who you're reaching. You could, you could tell the next, like in Tim's family line could be the next Billy Graham. Daphne could be the, the woman version of Billy Graham. Maybe Simple McPherson, there we go. We don't know who we're reaching. You could birth the next revivalist, world changer, some, even an unsung hero that the world may never know about because it's not even about the history books because God holds the true history book. What legacy are we leaving as we surrender ourselves, as we surrender our families? And lastly, I want to say, what does it look like for a city to be surrendered? What does it look like for our workplaces for our jobs to be surrendered to Jesus? What legacies are we leaving? Turn with me to Acts chapter 19. We're gonna read an awesome story here. When Paul goes to Ephesus. Ephesus was a bustling city, it was a port city. And it, it had a highway that went through Asia Minor. So it was almost like a gateway to all of Asia Minor. And so Paul comes to this city and does some really amazing stuff. I don't want to spoil it. We're going to read it, okay? We're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to go all the way down to verse 20. All ready for that? And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus And finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? I love this conversation. So they said into John's baptism. Excuse me. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Come on. Now the men were about 12 in all. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before The multitude, he departed from them and withdrew to the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus, the hall. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. 
And now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, we exercise you by the name Jesus who Paul preaches. And also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was, was leaped on them, overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus and fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. What's happening here? Paul comes to this city, and Paul, Paul baptizes these guys who hadn't heard yet about Jesus, who were baptized by John the Baptist, and he goes into the synagogue as was his, what he often did when we'd come to a new city and he begins to present the gospel of Jesus to the Jews. And after three months of hard work and just coming up against resistance, what does he do? He goes to the local lecture hall and presents the gospel for two years. And even by the book of Acts, performs some pretty like cool miracles, like handkerchiefs, aprons, like healing people just by a cloth, Right? And there is such a radical transformation and surrender of the city that the local sorcerers decide we're going to get together and we're going to burn. It was something valued at like 50,000 days wages of books. Can you imagine something like that in our city? Any Wiccans and witches out there? Come on. If you can hear me online, we can do a book burning anytime you want. Can you imagine this? Like society is so transformed by the word of God, by the gospel, that the sorcerers are just like, we could sell these, we could make money on these, but let's burn them. This city at the time in Ephesus had one of the seven wonders of the world at the time, the temple of Artemis. We know it's not real, but it's fine. They thought she was. And this city was known for its metalworking. It had a big industry for metalworking. It goes on about this later in verse 23, I believe it is. And the metalworkers would make shrines and they would make silver images of this little G God, this false idol, Artemis. And their industry had taken such a hit from the conversion of the believers, from the surrendered lives of Paul, from the surrendered life of Paul preaching daily, healing the sick daily in the local lecture hall, from the surrender of the believers that their industry was failing and they got together and they tried to have a riot against the believers because it's like, we can't sell our goods anymore. There's no longer any demand in this city for the evil because light was prevailing in that darkness. Light was prevailing in that city as a life and a people said yes to Jesus, said yes daily to surrendering to him, to surrendering to his call. God, use me, pick me up today. How can I go? God, I'm gonna go for the 456th day to this lecture hall and preach on you. Like the tenacity of Paul for two years straight to present the gospel to this city, 
to all of Asia Minor. And the Lord is writing his stories through us. What does it look like for your workplaces to surrender to the name of Jesus? What does it look like for Raleigh and Durham to bow its name, bow its knee to Jesus? We're on a discovery together of this. When revival leads to reformation, when crime statistics go down, when hospitals are emptied, like, come on, like, what have we yet to see and know the greater things that the Lord has promised in this lifetime? So I ask us again, Lord, what is the condition of our yes? What's the measure of our yes? So the Lord wants to use every single one of us in this room and he's telling an incredible story of legacy through our lives. And if I could, I, I would have put a mirror on every one of our seats and I would have held the mirror up myself and just, Lord, what is the legacy you're writing and how's my yes? How's my surrender to you, Jesus? Are there, are there idols and things in my life I'm letting slip and slide that you're actually calling me to lay down this morning? Following Jesus is the greatest thing, but it costs everything. But those, the promise of the Bible is those who lose their life for him will find it. And the Lord will give you the greatest, you will find the greatest life that you could possibly live. We will find the greatest life that we could possibly live. And I know in my own heart, in my own self, there's probably things that I'm like, okay, God, I could, I could try and lay that down. I could watch a little less Netflix. Whatever it is, I could just surrender to you, Jesus. Before we close, I would, I just want to invite us to stand for a moment, if you may. And I want us just to do some business and get real before the Lord. Like I said, for myself too. And just ask that, that simple question to the Lord. Lord, is there anything in my life that you're asking me to lay down? It could be as simple as the Lord convicted me twice in my life on sarcasm. Damaging levels of sarcasm where he's like, Aaron, you know what? It's time to pull that back. It's time to surrender that. You might feel funny, but it's time. It could be as simple as that, but just let's just ask the Lord, Lord, is there any area in my life you're asking me to surrender so that you can write your story through me? felt this morning that there's almost like a crossroads before us. There's an invitation before us. It's not a guilting thing. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. But the goodness of the Father says, hey, I have a really great life for us, for you. 
It just requires your yes. And this morning, if, if you're in this room and you're like, I know the Lord's asking me to lay something down. I know the Lord's asking me to say yes to him again in the areas I've let myself slip. I just want to invite you unashamedly to come to the front and do business with the Lord. And I want to invite our ministry team forward as well. Jesus. If you need to go, feel free to go. We love you. Have an amazing, amazing week. Make sure you come on out next week for our last message in legacy. But for the rest of us, we're just going to stay and we're going to not rush the Lord. Maybe even if you don't feel comfortable coming forward, wherever we are, let's just do some business with the Lord. I just feel like the Lord is... He's calling some of us in this room to look much further beyond ourselves. To look to the world around us that he's called us to go and make disciples of. So Jesus, we just surrender to you God, would you show us what a laid down life, what a laid down family, what a laid down workplace, what a laid down city looks like. Would you use us? We just repent for anything we've allowed to come before you, any other God. other idols. Have your way, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. That was a fantastic message. We want I want to encourage you to keep receiving. There's more. I feel like actually the Holy Spirit wants if there's anyone here who feels fear that there's not enough, like fear of lack, so you hold on to things. I feel there's an invitation from the Lord to receive. It's a fantastic message. Thank you, Aaron. Just bless you to continue to receive, to just receive from the Holy Spirit. Have a wonderful week, church family. Thank you for tuning in, those of you who have been tuning in online. We look forward to gathering together again next week for our final in our legacy series and just to sow into the kingdom with joy. I hope you have a wonderful week. 
Bless you. Please give someone a hug or a high five on your way out. If this is your first time here, we'd love to greet you at the connections table. And um, just, I bless you to have a great week. And don't forget to pick up your kids and thank those who've been putting a legacy into your children. Okay, thank you guys.